to the young adults this past week, and it's just really good, so I'm going to read it for you. There is tremendous relief in knowing that his love, God, to me is utterly realistic, based at every point on prior knowledge of the worst parts about me, so that no discovery now can illusion him about me or disillusion him about me. In, the way, in that way, I am so often disillusioned about myself and quench his determination to bless me. That part that really stuck out to me is that his view is utterly realistic. I think sometimes we can think, you know, oh God, what if God knew this thing about me, he wouldn't love me. Or if he knew that I was doing this, he wouldn't love me. But the, the point is, the fact is, is that he already knows that. That may be scary to some of you. Um, that may be comforting to some of you. And I understand that may hit different people differently. But I hope that comforts you in knowing that he knows that already and he still chooses to love you. Um, so this week we have lots of ways um, that you can engage in that. Obviously, you're here this morning and we're so glad that you're here. If you're a visitor um, and you're here in this building right now, there is a card in front of this, in the seat in front of you, unless you're on the first two rows. Go you, you sit on the first two rows. That's brave. Um, if you're at home, there's an About Us info tab that you can fill out and learn everything you need to know. Um, and as far as ways that you can connect to us as we walk out this realistic view of ourselves, being honest about who we are. There's lots of things you can connect with, even despite Corona, um, that we're still getting together. Um, the youth group is meeting on Wednesday at 5.30 to 7 in person at CF. We're meeting in the worship center again. It's supposed to rain again this week, so we're going to be in here. It was a really sweet time last week in here, and so it's going to be lots of fun. The same is true for young adult. They're going to meet at 7.15 in here. Um, and it's going to be in the worship center again. There's always the Zoom option. So if there's any reason at all that you can't be here, you're feeling sick, you don't want to expose someone, anything like that, there is the Zoom option. We can't guarantee that the Zoom option is always going to work <laughs> just because technology does what technology does. Um, but we're, we're glad for you to join any way that's possible for you. Um, and also, if you're not here, don't forget that online giving is an option. And for some of you, even if you're here every Sunday, maybe online giving is a better option for you. Um, that is at Crosspoint fellowship.us. You can check that out. Um, our prayer focus for this month is still educators. We are still um, praying for them. I know some of you, this was your first week. Some of you even haven't even had your first week yet, especially if you teach in Greenville. We're still praying for you. Um, if you have anything that you'd like us to be praying for, please send it our way. Some of you have our numbers, emails. Please just send it to us. We'd love as a staff to be praying for you and as not, I'm not an elder. The elders would enjoy praying for you as well. Um, let's go ahead and go to the Father for educators and for our morning this morning. Um, Lord, we're just so thankful that you are not disillusioned by us. God, that you know all the intricacies of our hearts. God, you know the places that we are so very weak. God, that you are uh, fully aware of the sinfulness and the brokenness that is inside of us. And God, to be honest, that can be kind of scary sometimes to know that someone out there, someone in the cosmos knows just how awful we are, how hard it is for us to be holy. Um, and God, but we're so thankful that we have you to make us holy. God, I pray that that would humble us this morning. That, it would, um, that that would not be a cause for shame or fear, but that it would escort us to you. God, we pray that we would meet you here today. God, you promise that you're going to be here in the, the preached word. 
God, and we just, we just pray that you would open our eyes and our spirits and our hearts to hear what you have to show us this morning. Specifically, we want to pray for educators, Lord. We know that their task is not light and it's not easy. It's not simple whether they're homeschooling or trying to figure out online school or they're actually teaching students in a classroom in a hybrid classroom. God, there's just so many different situations that each person in our body and in the greater Greenville, Lone Oak, Caddo Mills area find themselves. And Lord, we just lift them up to you knowing that you're the only one that can solve a lot of those problems. And God, you can help us endure in just the mass chaos that is sometimes technology. Um, Lord, we just pray that you would help them to see their students as you see them, that you would give them opportunities to share um, you with their students and with their fellow faculty members. And God, we just pray for strength and continued peace as they set out this semester. Um, Lord, we love you. We're so thankful for all that you are and all that you do. In your name I pray, amen. Psalm says this, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will never slumber or sleep. That is the God that we gather together to worship this morning. One who calls us to look to him. One who is our help that we can count on because he is never off the clock. He is never unaware. He never does not know and does not see. He is always present. To some that will be a terror to God's people. It is a great, great comfort. Let's come before him as we worship in prayer. Oh God, we praise you and give thanks to you that you indeed are our help. Lord, that you care whether our foot is moved or not is the greatest show of grace and mercy. Lord, we come before you in obedience to your command to gather in your presence, to worship as your people, to hear from you. Lord, we want to pray for your church as a whole. We humbly beseech you that you would be pleased to fill your church with all truth and all peace. Where it is corrupt, Lord God, purify it. Where it is an error, direct it. Where in anything it is amiss, oh God, reform it. Where it is right, establish it. Where it is in want, provide for it. Where it is divided, reunite it. For the sake of him who died and rose again and ever lives to make intercession for us, Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord. Father, we pray for those who are on mission here in the states from other countries 
and from within the states and those missionaries that have gone abroad. Oh God, we know that you have made of one blood all nations of men to dwell on the face of the whole earth and that you did send your blessed son to preach peace to those who are far off and to those who are near. Lord God, grant that all men everywhere may seek after you and find you. Pour out your spirit upon all flesh. Bring the nations into your fold and hasten the coming of your kingdom through your son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Father, we pray for those who are in authority. O oh, most merciful Father, you have ordained the power of those who govern for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do well. Therefore, we humbly pray that you grant wisdom to your servants, those on a local level, at a state level, and at a federal level. Grant that they would govern in true righteousness and justice. And Lord God, we pray for those in need. You are the God of mercies. We ask that you would make us true servants of our city, imitators of you, as we show mercy to the needy in our midst. Comfort with the grace of your Holy Spirit those who suffer sorrow, sickness, and adversity. Have mercy upon those to whom death draws near, Lord God. Bring consolation to those in sorrow and mourning. Remember those who suffer persecution for the faith and by the power of your Holy Spirit, Give us the wisdom and the faith needed to be your vessels in all of these works. Lord God, we pray all of these things. We bring all of these needs to you because you are a good God who loves us and has given us all things in you. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Jesus Christ, our Lord, your Son. Amen. Our scripture comes from Ruth 2, 5 through 16. As you turn there, just to recall, you know, what we're seeing in Ruth or what we've seen up to this point. Chapter 2, we have the introduction of Boaz. Boaz is the new character on the scene, and now we're going to see him sort of all throughout the rest of this book. We just got a little glimpse of Boaz last week, just a tiny one. Who was Boaz? We didn't know a whole lot about him other than what he said, the first words out of his mouth. Lord, be with you. And we looked at the background, where that came from. What we're going to continue to see in chapter 2 is the way that Boaz reflects the God he serves. And doing that, he makes provision for one who seeks the help of this God. So if you would, please stand with me for the reading of God's Word. It's Ruth 2, 5 through 16. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? 
And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter. Do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink that the young men, what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground and said to him, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner. But Boaz answered her, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed to her roasted grain and she ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. When she rose again to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also pull out some of the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you for this word. We pray this morning that you would put us to death and raise us by this word. Lord, we are trusting you and entrusting ourselves to you because you said that you will not allow your word to return void. Lord, you bring life by this word. You bring hope by this word. Lord, by your spirit, would you give us hearts that are soft, that you mold and shape, Father, would you comfort us? Would you convict us? Would you strengthen us? We pray that you would act for your people in this word this morning. And not only here, but in your people as they gather all across this world. Show up as you've promised. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Please be seated. So we are supposed to be a people of God. I mean, that's what we are. I don't know if you, I don't know if you identify yourself as a people of God, but that is, that is your identity, right? This is the group that you belong to. I don't just mean cross point. I mean, if you are united to Christ by faith, you are part of the people of God. 
I asked last week, you know, what, what are you supposed to look like? Well, we can sort of do a, an extension of that this week. What are the people of God supposed to look like? Sometimes when you think of being the people of God, that means that you are a people that do all the right things, right? Or you're defined by what you don't do. We don't do that. That's bad. We don't do that, right? Or we do this. And then it becomes about, you know, do you do all the right things? And then we get into our little sort of squabbles about what the right things are and what the right things aren't and... You can see the problem with that. That's not to say that there aren't right things. Don't, don't get me wrong. But sometimes when people think of the people of God, what, is it, what does it mean to be the people of God? Well, I do all the right things. Right? In other cases, right, we can go to another sort of category. We believe all the right things. We don't believe that. We believe this. Are you one of us? Yeah, here, here's, here's my card. Right here, I signed it. So you got all the things that I believe right there. I signed it. Now does that mean that there are things that we believe and that, we, well, we better believe? Yeah, of course! Of course. But that's another interesting one, right? Be a people of God, we do all the right things. People of God, we believe all the right things. That seems kind of reductionistic. Thin. Maybe that's the problem with it. Maybe it's missing something, this sort of robust, thick center what does it mean to be a people of God? Right? A people who have tasted the grace and mercy of the God who redeems. How about that? A people who have this God who redeems as their treasure, their delight, their portion. Right? People of God or people walking around saying, I have God, he is my everything. Him, he is. A people shaped by the gospel or a people shaped by the gracious, redemptive work of the triune God. I mean, really you know, pushed. And when I say shaped, I'm thinking about that sort of molding, that that's... We're sort of um, 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 put in that, that imprint is put on us. And sometimes that's not always comfortable. Well, in our passage this morning, I think what we see is a beautiful picture of what that kind of people looks like. We see this picture of this giving of grace. We see a picture of this reception of grace. And you're going to see it sort of weaved back and forth as you see the way that Boaz does what he does and the way that Ruth does what she does. 
So let's begin in this short part of the narrative here. At first, what I want you to see, just kind of briefly, is the way that grace shapes attention. Right? Just to give you something to hang on to. This is sort of a way that, it's a way into this passage, first part. The way that grace shapes attention, particularly, of, specifically of Boaz. In 5 through 7, Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, she is a young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers, not the sheepers. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now except for a short rest. Boaz is attentive. Why does, he, why does he notice her? Have you thought about that as you're reading this? I mean, he's got lots of folks out there, I'm sure. Why does he notice her? Why is he attentive to this person? Well, I want to say that it's not new for him. Right? I mean, could be that she's you know, a new face shows up on, shows up in the field, and he's, he seems interested in what's going on here. But I don't think this is just a, a you know, a sort of a, 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 a little moral or sort of modern platitude, you know, we gotta, we gotta pay attention to people. I'm not saying that. It seems kind of important because it's the question that Ruth herself asks in verse 10. When she falls on her face to the ground, she says, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should notice me? In your eyes that you should notice See, the echo is very important. Right? <laughs> why have I found favor? Anyway, oh, hang on, I gotta recover from that. <laughs> what? Ah, sorry. Maybe if I drink water, that'll help. Sound nasally, don't I? (laughs) Incidentally, all of my buttons are buttoned. I know that was driving some of y'all crazy. I had my button unbuttoned last week, and so it was all the wardrobe. So, why is he attentive? Why is he attentive? I mean, now, is, is, is this sort of a moral lesson, right? We're supposed to develop this social skill. You know, good Christians are attentive to people in need. Is that, is that, is that what we're saying? Well, no, you don't need Jesus to be nice. You don't. There's something more going on here in this attentiveness. What made him so attentive? What we're seeing here, in both in Boaz and in his servant, is the obedience of faith. I really want you to get a feel for what the backstory is to why he would do what he's doing right here. It's going to make sense to the rest of what we read here. 
I hope that you start to see the way that in the Old Testament, God's grace motivates and drives everything. God's grace, his redemptive work, the gospel has been shaping God's people for a long time. It's in Leviticus 19 and Deuteronomy uh, 26. These are the gleaning laws. That's why I sort of point these out. But I want you to see here what's going on here. So Leviticus 19, just so you see what this obedience is about. Why, why Boaz is acting this way. Leviticus 9, excuse me, 19, 9 through 10, it says, When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge, neither shall you, neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. And you shall not strip the vineyard bare, neither shall you gather fallen grapes from your vineyard. Here we go. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. Okay? Leviticus 19, 33 to 34. So we got 9, 9, excuse me, 19, 9 through 10, and then we got Leviticus 19, 33 through 40, 34, it says this, when a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you. You shall love him as yourself, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord, your God. There it is, clear enough. Specific rules to help the needy. Right? That's clear. But notice the important point that we made there. And this again is how it, beginning to help you understand the foundation of Boaz's obedience. This is not just humanitarian aid. It's not. This is, we're way beyond, well, People who are needy, you need to help them because they're needy. We're way beyond that. There's a, there's, a, there's a deeper structure to what he is saying. The reason is in that one phrase, I am the Lord your God. I am the Lord your God. I'm yours. You track with me? Why do you do this? He says, I am yours. Okay? Now, it's not just there that you see that in 19, or Leviticus 19. The same thing, I am the Lord your God, is in verse 12, verse 14, verse 16, verse 18, verse 25, verse 30, verse 31, and verse 32. Why do they all, why do these sentences end that way? I am the Lord your God. This is sort of like what we said last week. Remember the the Lord be with you? That's a packed phrase. So is this one. In fact, we could even say this. Let me just, in chapter one, God is saying, I remember you. Chapter, the first part of chapter two, Lord be with you there. It's a, you know, I am with you. We get the addition here. I am yours. 
Here's what makes sense of it all, a sense of it all. and sort of this is this is sort of a little bit further out from these two verses in uh, Leviticus 19. On the out, outer edges of the chapter, Leviticus 19.2 says, Speak to all the congregation, the people of Israel, and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. And then Leviticus 19.36-37, he says, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, and you shall observe all my statutes and my rules and do them. I am the Lord. Here's the argument from that whole chapter. Leviticus 19. The Lord your God, high, lifted, sovereign king over all things, has set you apart from all things. That king, high and lifted up king, has rescued you from bondage and oppression. He's acted graciously to save you according to his promises. And now he has set you apart to be his. And he has set you apart to be yours. He set you apart to live under him, to love him, to obey him as children love and obey the Father. I have redeemed you with a great love in giving you all things. Now here is how you respond. Here's how you live. That's the way Leviticus 19 works. That is, the way, that is the deep structure of the obedience that you see in Boaz. He's not just doing the right thing. We're not just believing the right thing. We see him holding fast to his God and living, living like one who belongs to him and to whom this God belongs. Let me read another passage. Again, this makes some more sense. And so now, so that was sort of close up. That was really close up here. We see specific laws. We see him doing specific things that the law says to do, right? Make sure that this person... This, this sojourner has food. Let them reap. He's specifically letting them do that for this bigger reason. Now we can sort of back up a little bit further and we'll drop all of this in the overarching worship of God's people. And again, I bring this up because remember, back at the end of chapter one, what that said was, and this is sort of shapes the whole book, um, uh, Naomi and Ruth roll into town at barley harvest. Barley harvest and wheat harvest. What's the big deal? Well, there's a huge biblical, theological deal about that. Deuteronomy 26. Listen to this. Now, just stay with me here, okay? I know that this is, I'm hopefully, um, I mean, I, well, 26. When you come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you, I'm going to emphasize some things, is giving you for an inheritance and have taken possession of it and live in it, you shall take some of the first of all the fruit of the ground which, are, uh, which you harvest from the land that the Lord your God is giving you 
and you shall put it in a basket. You shall go to the place that the Lord your God will choose to make his name to dwell there. Remember, that's like the sort of the tabernacle, place where God meets his people. And you shall go to the priest who is in, the, in office at the time and say to him, I declare today to the Lord your God that I have come into the land that the Lord swore to our fathers to give us. Then the priest shall, priest shall take the basket from your hand and set it down before the altar of the Lord your God and you shall make a response before the Lord your God. A wandering Aramean was my father. And he went down into Egypt and sojourned there, few in number. And there he became a nation, great, mighty, and populous. And the Egyptians treated us harshly and humiliated us and laid on us hard labor. Then we cried to the Lord, the God of our fathers, and the Lord heard our voice and saw our affliction, our toil, and our oppression. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm with great deeds of terror, with signs and wonders. And he brought us into this place and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And behold, now I bring the first fruit of the ground, which you, O Lord, have given to me. And you shall set it down before the Lord your God and worship before the Lord your God. And you shall rejoice in all the good that the Lord your God has given to you and to your house, you and the Levite and the sojourner who is among you. You hear all the same themes from Leviticus 19. It's spelled out a little bit more clearly. Here you have this confession of these people in their worship, because these are like, you know, these are like festivals. This is like they get together and it's a big party in worship of the God of Israel. Right? These recurring, recurring festivals that they had. And they're always repeating, they're always saying this stuff. They're recounting this stuff. You gave us this land. You gave us all we have. You have given gifts to us. And now we bring the fruit of that blessing. You see that? The way their worship kept these things connected. We don't, we're not just doing the right thing. We're not just believing the right thing. We are serving this God who has done these great things to us and for us and in us. We do what we do because of this great, redemptive, merciful, gracious work that he has done in us. We rehearse his grace. They rehearse his grace over and over again. And what's amazing about this text, right? So you get that big picture, right? Barley harvest. Let me bring it in. 26.12, it says this. When you have finished paying all the tithe of your produce in the third year, which is the year of tithing, ready? Give it to the Levite, the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow, so that they may eat within your towns and be filled. 
Then you shall say before the Lord your God, I have removed the sacred portion out of my house, and moreover I have given it to the Levite, the sojourner, the fatherless, the widow, according to all your commandment you have commanded me. I have not transgressed any of your commandments, nor have I forgotten them. What you're seeing in Leviticus 19, what you're seeing in Deuteronomy 26, is the way this vertical, vertical worship has to go horizontal. That is the only way that this works. There is this reception of grace that has to turn into this giving of grace. If that's not happening, you're not the people of God. Right? It's like, it's this interesting sort of dynamic, right? Through, uh, in Christ Jesus, through the Spirit, we give back to God all that he has given to us. Right? That's, this, that's this cycle. And we're seeing it right here played out. That's the undercurrent of God's grace that's going on with Boaz. The undercurrent of the gospel, what God is and does for his people, it shaped the life of Boaz. Boaz knows and believes that his people were strangers in a strange land, Egypt. Boaz knows and believes that Yahweh is their God and that he did rescue them from affliction and he did bring them into this land and he did give the land to them as a gift and they didn't work for it. They didn't even cultivate it. Y'all remember that? They just walk in, there's houses there. He gave it to them because he loved them and chose them to be his. Yahweh cares for the land. All things are coming from him and all things depend on him. And so, What Boaz does, what he says, it's all a result of this gospel. This redemptive work of this living God that has acted, that has given himself to this people. Do you see how that reorients everything? That changes everything in your life. There's nothing that it won't touch. There's no peace that it doesn't move. And now we get to see what happens when this gospel, this grace goes out. So it shaped, that's what shapes Boaz's attention. Now we see it shape action. And we'll see this in uh, verses 8 and 9 and then 14 to 16. So look at Ruth 2, verses 8 and 9. And I just take these out of order because they're going to put them together because here we, get, here we see really clear examples 
of what it looks like when grace gets poured out. Verses 8 and 9, it says, Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen to me, my daughter. Do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. And then jump to 14. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine so that she, so that, excuse me, so she sat beside the reapers and he passed to her roasted grain and she ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men saying, let her glean even among the sheaths and do not reproach her. And also pull out some of the bundles, uh, pull out some of the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. Do you see what happened there? Ruth, just to be clear, Ruth is not only a widow, she is a foreigner. She has no name. Did you notice that? Nobody has used her name yet. She is the Moabite woman. This, this question, this is what's beautiful about this test. The question that Boaz asks, whose young woman is this? That is the question. That is being, who does she belong to? It's getting answered here. This woman who has no name, no home, no one to protect her, no one to feed her, no job, you know, doesn't know where the food's going to come. She has no claim. Did you see what happened to her in those verses? Yahweh, Boaz's God, Naomi's God, steps in and meets her. Oh, Yahweh steps in through this man, Boaz. Look at what he does. Just sort of slow down a second and look at what Boaz does for her. You notice what he said to her, how he referred to her. My daughter. This widow, this foreign Moabite, he says, listen to me my daughter. He gives her a place to call home. He gives her a place to belong. He says, stay with my women, right? My servants. That's the same cling. Remember when, remember we saw this about Naomi, I mean, Ruth in chapter one, she clung to Naomi. It's the same word here. Cling. To my servants. You stay with them. He draws Ruth in like a father loving his child. He says, you're part of my people. Stay right here. Second thing that he does is he gives her security. She doesn't need to go anywhere else. I mean, that's 
Here's what he's telling her. You don't need to go to any other field. You're welcome to this field here. Today, tomorrow, the next. Do you see how important that would be? She's given this security. Right? This day to day, from day to day, where am I going to be? Are they gonna, she, remember, she, at the beginning of this, she says, hey, can I come and glean here? She didn't assume it. But she's got the green light now to come back over and over and over. And then he gives an abundance. You saw that in that 14 to 16. completely at a loss for why he's doing this. This woman who clung to Naomi, who left her gods, she's still learning what what it means to be one of Yahweh's people. Interestingly enough, she says something here. It's sort of like a play on words. I didn't mention it earlier. When she says, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should notice me? That word notice is the verb form a foreigner. So, and this is the best, this is the best one I got here. So I just go with it, okay? So, it's like somebody going, you know, why are you looking at me when I'm not a looker? Is that... 
Why are you noticing me? Why are you, why are you acknowledging me? When I'm not one that you should acknowledge. She has, she has a really clear grasp, or at least she shows, she shows us a nice example, whether she, whether she fully grasps it or not. What our response should be to this grace. Why? We should stand in awe of this grace and this mercy that we are shown over and over and over again. Boaz's answer is basically goes like this because he's merciful and gracious and loving and faithful. That's the shorthand of the answer that he gives. I mean, when he says here again in verse 11 and 12, you left your father, your mother, your native land, you came to people that you didn't know, the Lord repay you, full reward be given to you. And here's the sort of punchline, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Here's Ruth's story. She's a lot like Abraham here. She's on that road to Judah. She heard what Yahweh had done for his people. She leaves Chemosh and the other gods of her people. She made allegiance to Naomi's God, the God of Israel. She came to people she didn't know, like Abraham came to a land he didn't know. She took refuge under God's wings. She sought his protection. And Boaz is saying, and this is what happens, Ruth. This is what our God does for his people. Boaz said, you sought him and he answered. And her response is simple. Gratitude. You have shown favor to me. You have comforted me. You have spoken kindly, spoken to my heart. You've done all of this. Let me end with just, by just saying this. Back up for just a second. I hope it wasn't lost on you that that story that I just told you is you. It's you. Literally, it is you. You people. You don't have a name. You didn't have a place. No promises, no claims. You had nothing. At least that's the way Paul puts it. In Ephesians 2, he says, Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Let that land on you. 
Even y'all who are here that have been, you know, that you've sort of been, you've been following Jesus since you were itty bitty. But you still, you can't let this not land on you. You have no right to God. You are not entitled to God. Do you get that? Verse 13, but, and this is what changes everything, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. 17 to 18 of Ephesians 2. And he came and he preached peace to you who were far off, to peace to those who were near. For through him, we both, that's Jew and Gentile, have access in one spirit to the Father. A people of God shaped by the gospel nurtured on this gospel, we walk around going, oh, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. I can't believe it. You did this for me. There is a relief and a gratitude that wells up when we understand what God has done for us. That is, through Christ, your Father gives to you a place to call home. He gives to you security. He gives to you safety. He gives to you abundance. We've been drawn into this relationship with our Father through the Son. We have received grace upon grace upon grace. And what are we to do? What do a people of God, shaped by this grace, do? We respond with gratitude. That is dependence, not paying, oh God, let me pay you back because you've done so much for me. Right? That's silly. You can never do that. This is gratitude in the sense of I am entirely dependent on you. I, I, I got nothing without you. Nothing. And as we do that, here's what's interesting. We find ourselves in a, a position very similar to that of Boaz. As those who've tasted his grace, as those who have been shaped by the gospel, we find ourselves poised to be in the place of grace, a place where foreigners can come and find this grace that God gives. A place where the goodness of God is shown to those in need and they can find comfort and be satisfied. That is who you are. Let's pray together. Father, again, we thank you for all that you've given to us in your son. We pray that the reality of your redemptive, gracious work would be etched into our hearts. Lord, that you by your spirit would work it in. Would you, would you kill us and raise us up with this word?
Let us know the life that you give through this word. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, if you're able, or excuse me, you are able. If, well, no, I guess if you're able to open this thing, then you can open it. So just open the, go ahead and make sure you open the top part. In 1 Corinthians, Paul says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And I hope that it wasn't lost on you. That picture, Boaz, come over here, sit down, eat, dip your morsel in the wine. And what happened? She was satisfied people of God, your Savior has given himself to you, has given us this ritual in which he promises, I am yours. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. Take and eat. Take and drink. Pray with me. Again, Father, we thank you for these things that you have given us that we can hold in our hands, that we can touch, that we can smell, that we can taste these things that's tokens through which you enact this covenantal relationship with us. making good on all your promises, reminding us again that we are yours and that you are ours. Would you feed us and strengthen us by these things? We praise you and thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Y'all can go ahead and stand.
blood was the payment, his life was the cost. We stood neath the debt we could never avoid. Our sins, they are many, his mercy is more. Praise the Lord, his mercy is more. Stronger than darkness, new every morn. Our sins, they are many. God, we're just so thankful that, um, God, that you continue to show us grace, Lord, when we were foreigners, when we were apart from you, God. I just pray that, um, God, you would help our hearts realize that reality that we are fully in you. Um, God, that you've noticed us, that you've taken account of us, and that you've cleared our account. Um, God, we just pray that these would become things that shape who we are and how we move with others. Amen. Benediction comes from 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Amen. You are dismissed.